0: Welcome to the Elevation Podcast. This podcast seeks to explore everything from mental, physical, and spiritual well being. We aim to help you increase your performance, recovery, and optimization with your mind and body. Get ready to get elevated. to the Elevation Podcast. Today with me I have Dr. Nicole McClellan, aka Dr. Cox. Dr. Cox is a naturopathic doctor at Proactive Health and Performance. She focuses on athletes and offers a variety of cutting-edge treatments, which we're going to discuss in today's episode. Dr. Cox welcome to the show. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. So to start things off, I thought we'd just get your background sort of on like who you are your journey, why you chose math, naturopathic medicine, and what led you here. So if you want to just dive, dive in. and,
1: dive in. and <laughs> Okay, sweet. Yeah, so uh, before I say anything, I always want to say that anything I talk about here is is my opinion alone and is not medical advice, so don't take all this stuff and implement it. Definitely talk to your doctor before you do anything. Um, and I also don't speak for all of naturopathic medicine. I am my own individual, and kind of anything I say here is just my opinion. Um, so yeah, what got me into all of this? I guess it started um, when I was growing up. Like I, was, I was really athletic and my mom was the healthiest woman ever. Like she was ahead of her time for uh, book smarts and just reading about all of these interventions that weren't you know, in the conventional medical system. And my brother had pretty bad uh, eczema growing up and he was a pretty high-level hockey player. So uh, nothing was fixing it. And then we went to a naturopathic doctor and it was kind of completely cured afterwards. So I was like, ah, there might be something interesting here. And then when I finished... uh, high school I wanted to be an artist funny enough and my dad kind of made me a pretty good deal he was like if you go to business school I will pay for art school afterwards or something along those lines so I was like oh you sneaky man (laughs) look what you did there so after going to business school I realized that I probably wouldn't cut it as an artist and when I finished business school as well um there was just like some things left on the table. I knew I couldn't sit behind a desk for most of my life and I know that that's not all that business has to offer but there was just something more out there for me and I loved sports and I loved nutrition so I went on to dietetics at Mount St. Vincent Um, and when I finished that degree I was um, kind of working in long-term care facilities, working with um, rehab center in Halifax and stuff and I felt like limited in the tools that I was able to provide people um, and I kind of wanted to take things more of a preventative care approach so um, then I went on to naturopathic medicine over in Toronto and uh, when I finished that I really felt like I had a good tool belt to kind of not only look preventatively but look at optimization um, and that's kind of where my head's at here for the most part
0: nice and yeah there's a lot of overlap there with me um, as I have told you before a couple times I was just graduated business, um, knew I didn't want to do that fully, kind of knew like something with like performance and healthcare. So now I'm currently in, and for all this podcast listeners, I'm currently in kinesiology, which I should be done in two years and then hopefully physiotherapy and kind of focus on performance and stuff. So it seems like we kind of have at least what you went through was Mm -hmm. similar stages. Like my parents were like. I was like, yeah, like, I kind of want to go into kines- kinesiology or, like, even engineering. Um, I was always good at, like, physics and stuff in high school. and But they're both business owners, so they're like, well, business is always good. And since I was unsure, I was like, okay, well, I'll go into business, which I don't regret because it allowed me to kind of take time to figure it out. And yeah. now I have a business degree. And business so, is awesome. Yeah. Like, it's
1: the foundation of what we do, you know? I'm yeah. still running a small business here, despite you know, me practicing health every day. Like, I still have to get clients in, I still have to do marketing, I still have to do accounting and all the back end stuff. So it's never going to hurt.
0: Yeah, for sure. And like, every time someone asks, like, oh, like, what made you switch into Kin? Like, that's so different than business. I'm like, well, it's more so that I always liked Kin and went into business, not the other way around. Definitely. And like, business and economics, mostly business is the way the world works sort of economics is measuring all that stuff so like if you don't know business and you're going to try to go into that world you're going to be going in blind pretty much and like it's going to be really hard to sort of communicate with people who are business people when you're trying to help people definitely and they're not not that they're not trying to help people but they're, they're thinking of the financial side of things a lot of the time so I think it's a good language to know when you're going into that field.
1: And even how to talk to people. Like, all the presentations and all that sort of stuff just gave Like, I've done so many presentations in commerce that, like, speaking in front of groups didn't faze me anymore, you know? So that was such a great foundation. And then being able to convey to people, like, not only is it a business, but it's also, like, there's a business in health for sure. But on top of that, like, to have a really good connection with your patients and stuff is is so important, too. So both sides are massive
0: yeah for sure um so kind of leading off like like what sort of led you to where you are now um in the clinic now like sort of what what do you focus on mainly and like what's your sort of scope of practice now because you said you started with like dietitian right Mm -hmm. and now you're sort of went and did naturopathic medicine and now you're here so what what's your main focus
1: Yeah. So dietetics have a different scope of practice uh, than naturopathic medicine. I hold both licenses. So depending on um, what people are coming in with, I mean, we can choose based on that. Um, My focus for the most part is sports medicine uh, and sports nutrition and pain management. So those are kind of... My go-tos, I love working with athletes. And, and when I say athletes, it doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, you're going to the Olympics. It's like the weekends, you're, you yeah. know, weekend warriors and stuff have that same athletic mentality of, of wanting to do better and be better. And I think that that's the patient population I love working with. Not necessarily that, you know, they're making the next big team or anything like that. It's more so they're wanting to change. They're wanting to put in the work to get to where they want to go and are very goal-oriented.
0: Sweet. And so you said sports medicine. Is sports medicine a separate, uh, some sort of certification or is it just something like you practice doing? Like most people I'm sure have heard of a sport med doctor, Mm -hmm. like an MD, um, and you're an ND. So can you do ND and then like ND sports med or how does that work?
1: Definitely. So through naturopathic medicine, there's um, specialty shifts that we have through our program. And I completed the sports med specialty shift, but it's sports naturopathic medicine. Like by no means is it the same, um, what you'd go through for sports medicine okay. residency yeah um, and then when I finished uh, naturopathic medical school I did a one-year residency okay. too way. for mostly injection therapy okay. and so sort of just to really hone my skills with injections for prolotherapy and, and um, any sort of regenerative injection therapy nice. um, so yeah that's it takes time it's not a weekend course that's gonna okay. get you you know this education yeah. and, and you have to put the work in for sure
0: okay so you went into that stuff after mm-hmm. natu- naturopathic medicine, yeah. So that's similar with physio. You can do like you'll do your physiotherapy um, degree or master's degree, and then you can do sports physiotherapy certification. So it's kind of like they each have that sports specialization after you're done. Mm-hmm. Okay, sweet. While well, we're on uh, naturopathic medicine still as a whole, want to cover some like misconceptions of it and like the evidence-based, science-based approach with it and sort of like what your approach is and maybe some like, yeah, misconceptions, I guess, What is the main thing. Because there's obviously a wide range and you said you don't speak for all naturopathic doctors, but like, as we've talked about before, evidence-based approach is super important uh, in practice. So maybe just talk about that a little
1: bit definitely. So, yeah, there's just like kind of every profession. There's outliers, there's people just killing it in the game. There's there's such a wide range of practitioners through every profession, I would say. So, it's really sometimes difficult to lump everyone in together of what they're doing. Um and I'll probably just kind of leave it at that. Like there there's there's people that are doing you know, pushing the limits on things and doing like the frontiers of medication and that's kind of how you know medicine evolves too right so when we say evidence-based a lot of people assume that that means you need a research paper to back up every single specific word that comes out of your mouth and and i i really practice mostly based on that like if i can't prove it or if i can't explain it then the likelihood of me you know prescribing it is quite low um i think the biggest part of all of this is that informed consent piece too so when we're talking to patients like you really have to break down what you're doing and what you're offering them and have them have a full comprehension of what's going on what are the potential risks what is the risk benefit ratio of actually doing this um, what is the outcomes that we're looking for and timelines for those outcomes i think people have to be extremely fully informed of what's going on because if not Um, you don't have their full consent for things. And I really encourage patients to ask questions or if they're hesitant for things, go home and think about it. Go home, write all your questions and then come back to me and we'll kind of filter through what we can do. Um, And not everyone practices this way and not everyone practices this way in every profession, you know? So I think it's really important to get that informed consent piece over everything. Having everyone understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. If it is a new intervention with not a lot of research, they have to understand all of those risks and benefits and have to want to go for it. It's it's not about me, you know, it's about yeah. their healing, so.
0: Cool, yeah. So, like, I guess a good example of that would be, like, say, a prescription drug that has a lot of research to be effective mm-hmm. and, like, say someone's going to be prescribing that to a patient, um, they're going to be pretty confident that it'll be okay, but they'll still inform the risk, whereas, like, maybe it's something new or maybe... It's something that's been proved to pretty much only have a placebo effect. Informing the patient of that, like we could do, say, XYZ, these three different treatments. This is sort of, this one has some research to back it up, but it's mostly going to be placebo, which kind of ruins this placebo if you tell them about
1: it. Uh, technically, not actually. Technically There's a lot not. of research that shows even. A known placebo can still, still work. work as okay. a placebo, so that's pretty cool too.
0: So that, yeah. so there you go. Um, so informing them of that, and then, I guess like from what I've read, traditional Chinese acupuncture, mm-hmm. mostly placebo benefit. Whereas I haven't looked too much into it, but like the newer ones, dry needling, which I was doing with one of your coworkers recently, which as a bit more evidence, or at least in theory, a bit more Mm -hmm. supporting evidence
1: for it. And there's so much that goes into it, too. Like, when you're sitting down, um, traditional Chinese medical acupuncturists, like, have a world of knowledge outside of, you know, what the needles that they're putting in, and, and that therapeutic conversation that you're having with someone. And if somebody's just even if it's just laying on a table for, you know, 30 minutes, but you feel taken care of, there is therapy in that, you know? There is yeah. therapeutic value in that, and people feeling heard for the first time can cure things, which is pretty amazing. Like, if you finally find someone that's going to listen to you, that's pretty powerful, right? Yeah. Or when you finally feel like your concerns are taking into consideration, that can be a game changer for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, and I think people neglect that a lot. Like, for me personally, if I'm going to go do something... Mainly just the way my brain's wired is I want to know all the science and I want to know it's been proven, like, physiologically to benefit. Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily everyone, and just, like, the power of the mind is crazy. So, like, people are like, oh, well, this aspect of something is improved in science, but they're not thinking about, like, the psychological principles like you were just talking about of being taken care of and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, it's more than just... Physi- physiology like there's so much psychology and everything especially with like coaching and training people like adherence with a diet mm-hmm. like it could be the best diet in the world physiologically for that person's like genetics and goals mm-hmm. but if they can't stick to that diet they're gonna fail and they're probably gonna have a really bad like relapse of eating bad food mm-hmm. so giving them the diet that's like easiest for them to stick to yeah. might be the best overall approach but I feel like a lot of people like like no this is the best diet and it's like well no it's not yeah. like there's no one best thing for everyone it's each person has their own optimal thing for them 100% yeah.
1: and like even what you said about physiology so assumptions are made that we know everything about physiology and we really don't like we just had to change kind of the books with Wim Hof you know yeah so he basically changed physiology textbooks and the duration that is going to have to come down the line before you know uh, university students get that in their hand is going to be a while right so there's people out there like breaking the frontiers of what medicine is and what we think we know um and safety, that always comes back to informed consent. You have to ex- be able to explain what you're doing very specifically to patients for them to understand and be able to say yes or no to what's going on. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I roll with it a yeah.
0: lot. And for anyone listening who doesn't know who Wim Hof is, um, his nickname's is The Iceman. Uh, so he is, I believe he's Polish or is he Dutch?
1: I can't remember, but he's all about um, breath work and breath training. And they've done some research where he's changing like immunology based on breathing and cold exposure. So uh, it's pretty amazing what he's what he's come up yeah. with so far and, and how many people he's helping for sure.
0: Yeah, so he has multiple uh, world records with like extreme sort of cold, like cold exposure and basically like physiological feats, I guess you could call them. So he climbed Mount Everest in swim trunks. Um, He ran, I think, a half marathon above the Arctic Circle in bare feet. He has the world record for the longest ice bath, which I think was two hours long in an ice bath. So he's basically able to regulate his core body temperature and immune system through his mind and breath work, which when you tell people that for the first time, even like science people or like phd people who had never heard of him they're like well there's no way that's true because all of the stuff i learned but there's now a lot of research coming out that's proved what he's done and it's it's not just him it's uh like he's trained people to do that as well so there's other people they might not have climbed mount everest but they've done like smaller mountains in their swim trunks so pretty powerful stuff
1: yeah, it's pretty crazy stuff. And, and a lot of people are, you know, pushing the boundaries for a lot of things now. And I think really the fundamentals just keep coming back again. Breath work, you know, cold, hot, good, nutritious food, sleep. All of these things are so important. And we are always looking for the next big thing. Like, what pill can I take to optimize my performance? Yeah. Well, how are you sleeping? You know, yeah. that is where we start, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so that's a kind of a good segue into... Um Inflammation, I mm. think. Um, the destroyer. Yeah. So I think a lot of his stuff has been shown to be good for inflammation. Mm-hmm. But just to start off with it, um, one thing that I was confused with for a while was like, when do I ice? When don't I ice? Because inflammation is trying to heal you. Like you've injured something, your body, your body's sending blood and like white blood cells and stuff to that area mm-hmm. um, to help fix it. So basically I'll pass it over to you to give a better explanation of that and sort of the differences between like chronic inflammation and like acute inflammation and when is it too much and when is it like a a safe amount. So I'll pass that to you.
1: Definitely. So with this one and pretty well every answer that I have for everything, it depends. (laughs) And uh, I know that frustrates people sometimes, but it really does. It depends on the person. It depends on what their goals are and it depends on their capacity based on, you know, nutrition, sleep, all those types of things. So if we just look at inflammation, there's like three phases of inflammation, the acute phase, the um, proliferation phase, and then the remodeling phase. So all of those are to tissue healing, essentially, like how we get from a huge open cut to scar tissue, basically. Um, And each one of them has their progressive timeline. But when we talk about inflammation, most people are looking at, you know, the inflammation part, the redness, the heat, all that sort of stuff that goes to the area. And that's when everything comes into play. That's when all the growth factors, the white blood cells, everything, your whole immune system kind of is going there and saying, yes, there's something going on here. Let's heal it. When we ice, it can take the pain away because pain or ice... Cold hits our, our receptor in our brain quicker than um, pain does, essentially. So it's it's psyching your brain out. So, okay. um, is it doing anything therapeutically? Maybe not. But is it doing anything um, for you to like? Pain keep, management. Yeah, stuff, keep functioning yeah. for sure. Um, and then, what's the goal? Like, do you have a game this weekend? If so, yes. Get that inflammation down, like you yeah. gotta play, right? Whereas if it's somebody who just, you know, rolled their ankle and has some time to heal and they don't have to play on Saturday, then that's a very different conversation, right? So off-season for a lot of high-level athletes is when we heal and repair all of these things, but potentially we we could have left things a little bit too long. But mid-season okay. is not the time to, you know, watch the whole inflammatory process happen always because there's not time to do so, right? Yeah. So ice has its role. You know? Okay. Um, If there's no timeline, if there's no event to get to, then I would say let heat do its thing. Let the inflammatory process do its thing. Um, If it's just a straight up bruise and it's swollen, then I mean, we're not really like taking away from the tissue. If we put a little ice on that, we're going to mitigate the pain response. But if it's a ligament tear, if it's a muscle, like anything like that, that's, you know, soft tissue injury, then we have to look at what is the process of inflammation it has to run its course to heal the tissue. So putting ice on that is just gonna delay that inflammatory process. Yeah. So timeline wise we always thought what is the goal? Why are we why are we picking what we pick, basically? And it's very person dependent.
0: Okay, yeah, and especially with uh, like connective tissue and stuff, there's not a lot of blood vessels or blood supply to those areas. Mm-hmm. So would you say like getting rid of that inflammation in that area after the like a tear or, you know, a strain or something happened to the connective tissue, if you can afford to take the time to let it be inflamed, let that happen, because that's probably the only blood supply it's going to get mm-hmm. is while it's inflamed, and then when the inflammation goes away, that's sort of the healing is mostly done.
1: Yeah. And Whereas I- a muscle
0: has... A way more blood supply than Mm -hmm. the connective tissue.
1: Definitely. Connective tissue is tricky and it depends on the location, and it depends, you know, there's not a lot going inside the knee joint, you know, for uh, vascularization. So it all depends on where the injury is, it depends on timeline for the injury like what are our goals with this patient what are their goals what is realistic kind of all of those things have to be broken down for us to um make a good judgment call on what to do but yeah if, if time is not a factor and and athletes are a different breed too right like if it's a small tear i mean we're essentially full of them right and so we have to mitigate like the risks of you know taking somebody out of the game and maybe decreasing um Their playing time, which could result in, you know, muscle mass decrease and all that sort of stuff. So there's so many factors that you have to think about in an injury.
0: And again, also psychological factors. Like the athlete might not want to stop playing. And if that's going to mess with them in training and stuff and cause like mental health problems or something, maybe it's like maybe they just can't stand not going in. So it's a balance with that as well. Yeah. Um,
1: even having those conversations too, like what is the likelihood that you're actually going to listen to me and stop doing what yeah. you're supposed to be doing? And that's, I have it with all the patients because it's a really fair question and I need to, I need them to be honest with me too, to treat based on yeah. what is the likelihood ratios of you doing what I'm going to ask you to do. So.
0: Yeah. Cause if they're not going to give you, follow that plan, you you're, you're going to need to adjust for yes. what they are going to do Let's so it can take be the best effective yeah um
1: the situation you
0: know what about like in a really bad injury situation there's like when is there too much inflammation like obviously too much of anything mm-hmm. can start causing other problems definitely um so what is too much and like like i know a lot of sports like on the field if they get if something big happens like they'll try to start taking it down right away because they they know it's going to be a really big response like is that a good approach and and what's too much
1: yeah so that the concept doesn't really make sense physiology wise of why we would ice things. But the concept of icing things to get people back in the game faster does make sense, you know? So it's very person dependent. And when you asked about like bad inflammation versus good inflammation, the acute inflammatory response is essential to life, right? So it's extremely important. But when we rise, when we get into problems is long duration chronic inflammation. Okay. So that's where we start to notice like wearing away of joint tissue and, and connective tissue start to wear away because that inflammatory process just isn't going away. So that can start to creep up in your whole body. If gut health issues start to arise and we can see, you know, um, chronic inflammation everywhere. So... The chronic part is what we want to rid our bodies of, not necessarily the acute phase. Okay. Yeah.
0: So if it's persisting, prolonged amount of time, then you might want to start taking icing, maybe taking some sort of anti-inflammatory, whether it's natural or just prescribed, depending on how bad it is, yeah. but that would be more with chronic stuff. Definitely.
1: And then for chronic injuries and pain management, like if we go to NSAIDs or non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, like there are, we keep forgetting that there's a black box warning on those for gastrointestinal and cardiovascular risks, right? Yeah, they're
0: really bad, on, hard on your stomach. Yeah. I had those with my my low back. Um, it wasn't bad enough that he wanted to give me like T3s because I could move and stuff. So he wasn't worried about getting my, mo- like my movement day-to-day back, but... He's like, if you have, like, you know, bad pain, you can take this. And the the coating on the outside of the pill to protect your stomach is way more than the actual dosage that you're taking. Mm-hmm. So, like, those are really hard on your stomach, right?
1: Yeah, and, and it, it's just, like, duration of time. Is one going to hurt? No. no. Is a couple going to hurt? No. But I have patients come in that say they take naproxen, like five times a day you know and for x duration of time and that's when the red flags started to go up you know so it's all person and timing dependent it's age dependent it's overall health dependent like how much can your body withstand but also there's there's some pretty safe natural interventions for these things too so ask questions about it you know what are your options is this feasible to go down a more natural road for this stuff too right
0: yeah yeah, yeah and i think like it's important we've said it a few times um, how complicated everything is and people don't it's hard to understand that first of all but like people want one fix and they want one answer but like there's so many variables affecting everything and like not no one knows like no one can analyze every single variable some things you can't test for like there's just so much so like i think understanding that is important and i feel like the more you know the more you realize you don't know and the less you know the more you think you know so like when i started off learning about this just on my own like when i was younger just in terms of the gym and like you know what what training volume do i need to put on muscle mass what protein intake just the basic stuff you can't I got that down, I was like, oh, like, I kind of know what I'm doing now. Mm. And I kind of, like, had the ego a bit, like, I knew I was doing. And then once you start learning more and more, you're like, holy shit, like, everything's so complicated, and, like, I don't...
1: As soon as you think you have it figured out, you have nothing figured out. It's almost like starting from scratch again. Yeah. Um, And that's literally how I live day to day like you're I'm always listening to podcasts and I think it's my job to be on the forefront of information retaining and gathering as much as I can because it never stops right there's new papers out every single day and you have to put it all into a critical eye and say like would this work for someone does this make sense you know what
0: research methods were used exactly all this yeah um so with inflammation there are some things that you do that once the inflammation is gone, but the injury's still there, or maybe some tissue's still damaged, that you can do. So prolotherapy and PRP. What are those, and like what do you use them for?
1: Definitely, so prolotherapy um, and PRP are both regenerative medicine injections. Um, currently, I am not set up for PRP, and okay. I just do prolotherapy at this clinic. Um, and prolotherapy is a, depending on what practitioner, each kind of has their own niche style of, of uh, formulation. Um, but the original base was a high concentration of dextrose with a numbing agent, sometimes procaine, yeah. sometimes... And
0: dextrose is pretty much just like a sugar-like... Exactly. Substance yeah. which will cause inflammation. Yeah. Okay.
1: Exactly. So that's the whole goal is to reinitiate that inflammatory response to remind your body that hey, there's an injury here, um, and to get it out of that chronic inflammatory state. We want to reinitiate acute inflammation. Okay. So it kind of blows up the joint. You get the same response as if you rolled your ankle. You know what I mean? And we want to remind the body that you still didn't do your job here. It's not fixed. You know. Um, PRP is platelet-rich plasma injections, so that's when we take somebody's blood, we spin it down, we take the platelets off the top and re-inject the platelets into the site of injury. So reinjecting those brings a whole host of growth factors there. It brings, again, that inflammatory response for everything that your body would need to heal. And it's um, your own blood. So it's pretty, you know, relatively safe. And there's no, there's not tons of contraindications for it. And um, it's probably like one or two steps below stem cell. Okay. Um, whereas stem cell would be the ultimate.
0: Yeah, yeah. stem cells like the, the top head honcho one. Um, so like, for those that don't know what platelets are, In the blood. Can you give, like, just a basic explanation?
1: Yeah, so platelets go to the site of injury and kind of, like, start to fill in the gaps a little bit. And, and, like, with that, with fibrin and everything like that, brings the closure of a wound, essentially. So, um, and they're essential to the healing process, too. So, yeah, like, I'd have to go back and read the physiology textbook to give the exact definition, but they're really important in healing. Okay. Yeah.
0: So you also do... I actually want to jump back real quick to, um, like, we were talking about everything depends on everything.
1: (laughs) Essentially, (laughs) yes. Yeah.
0: So everything's just dependent on so many other variables, but you can come to an intervention that's going to work for a patient. You can come to,
1: and I think I'm very confident in saying this, you can come to a best evidence-based guess to what would work. Based on everything that you've read, getting a really good intake from the patient, um, knowing their history, knowing what's feasible for them. You can, and a guess sounds flimsy, but it's not. Like, it yeah. is the best researched approach yeah. based on everything that I would have for someone. And I had uh, a patient the other day who said, yeah, I wanted to see my doctor and they looked something up in front of me. And I was like, amazing. They care. Yeah. You know, they want to find the answer for you. And if somebody's taking the time to do that, then hell yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they're not just letting you walk out and saying uh, as if they knew everything, you yeah. know? I'm glad guess, that people are... like
0: Making, not making, making stuff up, but making less informed guesses. Yeah. yeah.
1: And even, like, genetically, we could give you a medication you could react completely different than I do, but based on research, this medication yeah. should work for both of us.
0: And uh, another point, just with research in general, everything's a bell curve. So, like, the main sort of conclusions are coming at with like when you hear this study shows this is the the mean so the average response based on all of these people so say a medication works for most people but you might react to it that's sort of you might be one of the people sort of on the outside of that That distribution yeah Yeah. so that's sort of the genetic component like a lot of studies aren't controlling that like some sure some are like controlling for this gene type, we're gonna run this medication or this exercise intervention and see how, you know, C, I think it's CT gene type for muscle fibers is better for power output, and then there's one better for endurance. So there are some research to kind of differentiate that, but a lot of studies aren't doing that with diet and nutrition. So, like, some people are like, oh, low carb's the best, and other people are like, low, like, high carb's the best, and all these, these different things but there's still a genetic component that aren't controlled for in those Mm -hmm. studies for like weight loss and stuff like that um
1: and you know what like the best is whatever you will stick to yeah honestly and it's going to be so different for everyone and you might have to tweak things a little bit and but literally whatever you will do consistently is going to be the best for you yeah yeah
0: so yeah unless you're like joe rogan or like david goggins or someone not that. I'm putting them on the same level, but someone who's disciplined enough to adhere to anything based on like their goals. If you're the average person, pick something you'll adhere to. But if if you're someone who's got like really good discipline and willpower and like you're so dialed in that you're so excited about just sticking to a diet to see what happens, in that case I think maybe you could stick to whatever, but in most cases, the average person stick to what's what you're gonna stick to
1: yeah definitely and I think too like even David I mean he was just doing this crazy run thing and things started to go complicated for him right so you have to you never know what's gonna come at you so duration of time can I commit to anything for 30 days hell yeah what happens on the 31st day yeah you know do i i said 30 days so i did it then do i just go back to my other habits or yeah. you know what i mean and and that lie that it took 28 days to make a habit is not true we're talking like 90 to 100 days to yeah. really instill something so something that's very feasible for people where you still i mean and then people are like oh i miss my wine so much and there's such like a camaraderie around wine and and having a drink and Um, social inclusion and all that sort of stuff too. So is too much bad? Certainly. But is there a therapeutic dose of that with the social inclusion and having, you know, a great conversation that could be more valuable than the harmful effects of that second glass of wine, right? Yeah. So just kind of putting all of that stuff into context when you're making decisions or making patient plans um, is key.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think he, yeah, so he went, David Goggins was just running an ultra marathon, I think it was 200 to 300 miles, I think, and he got something, I don't know the medical term for it, but it was to do with uh, increasing your altitude too quickly with his lungs, I think, so he was in the hospital and he got disqualified from the race, Um, so he wasn't able to be like a finisher of the race, partly as the association deemed it. But he got out of the hospital... And finished it. And finished the race. <laughs> yeah. He's a machine. Yeah, and he's like, I don't recommend this, but he's like, I started something, I'm going to I'm gonna finish it. Mm-hmm. Like, So he's just... He's a whole other level. Definitely. Um, but unless your adherence is like David Goggins, um, do what works for you. And yeah, I think that's a good piece of advice. It's just do what works. Definitely, and or timing is huge
1: to too, right? Like if you're... Uh, thirty-five-year-old mom with three kids. Each one of them running off to hockey practice, and you work all day. Like, do you do we expect you to have the adherence of David Goggins? No, that's doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. But you're trying for it, which could almost be to your detriment, right? Like yeah, you starting to
0: fall off the wagon, mm-hmm. relapse, stress eat probably, mm-hmm. and, and then and the recovery gonna, starts to come yeah. into
1: play, and all of these types of things. So I think we just have to put something that really works and is hitting your realistic goals. Yeah.
0: yeah. And that's where talking to a professional or at least a friend who knows what they're doing or has experience doing something comes in handy because if you're just going to try to start doing all this stuff at once based on the Instagram page you read or like the fitness yes. influencer you listen to. The if you try to, tea that you're yeah, going to try. <laughs> yeah. If you try to do all that stuff at once, it's just it's not going to happen for you. Yeah. Um,
1: And time and time again, like slow incremental changes over time is how you become David, is how you become Kyle Kingsbury. Like all of those, they didn't wake up one day and just implement all of these things. They've been working at it for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah, nothing's
0: overnight. No, and And if you try to do it, chances are, if you're 99.9% of people, you're going to fail. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. And for me, that's what, like, every time I've tried to do a lot of stuff at once, it didn't work. And then every time I, slowly eased into something it worked mm-hmm. because it's a uh, we learned about it in psych, psychology and in business school and stuff uh, in terms of like managing and people don't really realize there's their conscious side and then there's their emotional sort of uncontrollable side of things and like your willpower the analogy is like the rider and the elephant um, so the rider is like who you think you are, your conscious decision-making self, and then the elephant is your emotional side, your habits, your tendencies, you know, all of those those things that when the, when the rider gets tired, the elephant's gonna take over. So if you don't make things, if you don't set up the situation around you to be easy to adhere to the things you're trying to do, it's gonna be really hard to force yourself to do those things. Um, so, like, basically, the way you can think about it is you can't forcefully wrestle a wild animal into doing what you want it to do. And it's a good way to think about, like, your emotional mind and your the sort of tendencies you have is they're not going to change by you will willfully or using your willpower to do it. They're going to change by you slowly training yourself as if you were training an animal. Mm. So, one day at a time, slowly is into it, you know, get the dog to sit before you get it to roll over type of thing. So, I think that's a good approach to take towards like yourself is be patient and also understand that like you are just a human being and you need to, you know, take it slow. Definitely. You can't just force yourself
1: yeah and even like understanding that animal too right so essentially if we're kind of using the same analogy if the animal was your subconscious right like there is stuff that has been ingrained in there since you were born yeah. and whatever those things are, whatever your dad said to you when you were six, what, you know, what I insert example here, but all of those play on a recorded loop in your subconscious all of the time. So so yeah. many people are like, well, what? how come I just can't have a piece of cake? Like I have to eat the whole cake. And you're yeah. like, that's, I mean, potentially there's a little bit of a, a willpower thing there, but I, I don't think it is because if, if it was just that, then we could implement tools to overcome that. I think yeah. that there's something inherently playing that, that is not enough or one piece is not enough and why is that? So understanding that, that, uh, the childhood part of it or understanding the trauma that's been in your past too is going to be huge to healing.
0: And the conditioning. So like, yeah, it all can sort of go back to that, like animal analogy It's like anything that you've been holding on to is going to come forward. And so many people aren't aware of that at all. And it's just like why, like why don't I have control and all this stuff? And they just don't even, they've never even heard of that concept. They are them, and that you know, mm-hmm. and that's just the way it is. But when you really dive into it, it gets super philosophical, and it actually gets pretty mind blowing. Yeah, and, and it like gets
1: deep and scary, and that gets, shit is yeah. hard to work on, right? Yeah. And like, why do you think we go home and watch binge watch Netflix? It's yeah. a distraction technique, right? Yeah, definitely. Because. If not, if we were just, why don't we bring our phones to the bathroom with us? Yeah. Like, we bring them everywhere, and it's such an easy distraction to not have to think about the, the scary, deep stuff, you know? Yeah, So
0: definitely. And, yeah, there's so many sort of what we would call unhealthy coping mechanisms, which would be that, like avoiding it. Not that necessarily distraction's always bad, because if someone's in, like, a really you know, dark place, it might get them out of it for a little bit. It might be a break for their mind. But, like, an unhealthy one would be, like, drinking alcohol, drug use, stuff like that. Um, But that's a whole other episode, I think. Um, For sure. Just to move on, you also do – so just a couple more treatments you want uh, that you offer. Um, So you do IV nutrient therapy Mm -hmm. and you do NAD IVs, Mm -hmm. right? What is IV nutrient therapy and, like – from what I understand, you can use it for a wide range of things, but uh, why don't you explain it?
1: Yeah, definitely. So it's just putting all of your minerals and nutrients in an IV bag and bypassing your gut, basically. Okay. So intravenously, it's going to be uh, pretty well 100% absorbed versus when you take supplements by mouth, First of all, if they're the Jameson brand, you're not absorbing any of them. Um, And not to pick on Jamesons, but all those generic, like, so many people are like, oh, well, this one's cheaper, and I'm like, there's a reason that it's cheaper, and I'm sorry that this other stuff is higher quality, but, like, that's the price difference that we're paying for. Third-party testing is what we're paying for, you know? So, yeah, so the likelihood maybe would get 40 to 60% absorption of what you take by mouth. I mean, obviously... Um, company dependent and all that sort of stuff but um, yeah so with IVs we just bypass that and then we can add some hydration onto the bag and stuff so most of us are walking around dehydrated 100% of the time Um, and the ease of use and convenience of it it's quick it's easy you You chill out out. out while you do it Mm -hmm.
0: Um, and another point about like the less bioavailable or like lower absorption rate um, supplements like oh well it's cheaper but yeah if you need to take way more or if it's not working Mm -hmm. it's just it's lost money
1: exactly then that therapeutic dosing is huge so people are like i don't know centrum multi and i'm like there's just enough of nothing in there to (laughs) make a difference you know potentially over time daily use you might get to where you need to be but your body's probably using that minimal amount yeah. beforehand. So um, yeah, I see benefit in it just for like ease of use. If you start to feel it's going to build up your immune system. If you start to feel, you know, crappy, there's ones that we can do specific to, you know, jumpstart your immune system, get you feeling better pretty fast. And just overall, like athletes, we have to be careful. There's pretty strict regulations from USADA and WADA of what we can do. And and I think um, a lot of practitioners are just kind of giving them without knowing those regulations too so if you're treating high level athletes that's imperative that you know that information and you know timelines and you um if the athlete needs an exempt form i don't most times you do and i don't think there's any place where um you don't especially for usada standards so yeah it's it's really important to know your stuff if you are going to treat these athletes as well
0: okay for sure and it's just My opinion is kind of a cool next level thing to try. Mm -hmm. Like if you are an athlete or just anyone trying to, you know, be healthy, it's, you know, it's sort of the new Yeah, it's a luxury item. Yeah. For sure. So if you can afford it and you Mm -hmm. want to try it out, um, I still need to try it, I think. But um, definitely, I think it's, my brother's done it a few times and he says he feels great Mm -hmm. afterwards. Um, And then NAD. So what's NAD?
1: Ooh, it's so hot right now. (laughs) NAD is, so there's two molecules in our body that are probably the most important, ATP and NAD. Um, NAD is nicotinamide dinucleotide. just a mouthful of information there. Um, But if you go back to your biochemistry and you think back of Krebs cycle and you probably learn, you know, Krebs cycle, electron transport chain, all that sort of stuff. And there's these little arrows that point to like cofactors and NAD fits in there. But it's important to pretty well every process in our body. Um, And it's also uh, we found out in the last couple of years, it's a huge signaling molecule. So signaling to um, say if your body's in a fed state, if it's in an exercise state, like how it's kind of doing. And then metabolic processes and all that sort of stuff would go off of those signaling.
0: And is it also to do with telomere length?
1: Yeah, so telomere length potentially was uh, the forefront of anti-aging, and I'm just not sure, like David Sinclair, when you listen to the, some of the things that he's saying, who is the pe- like top researcher for anti-aging, um, he was talking about a study uh, where they had twins and one went to space and one came home, yeah. and then they checked based on the twin what the telomere length was and the day after he came home it was the exact same again so i'm not sure they were kind of saying based on that i'm not sure the value of telomere length but sirtuins is is pretty important or it's continued research that we're seeing as a good indicator of cellular aging or cellular health so nad is a huge proponent of sirtuin activation and all that sort of stuff so i think um what our claims are for NAD so far is there's not tons of research. There's case studies. Anecdotally, it's amazing. Um, but then again, you are also getting a pretty strong response through the IV. Like, it doesn't feel great to go in. So is it yeah, just a massive heard, placebo effect? I've too?
0: heard it feels like your whole body's on fire. Yeah, there's... You the push IV, or the push... Yeah, push IV. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard it's like...
1: It's awful, right? It doesn't feel good, especially... uh, I think, like, Kyle Kingsbury has the world record for the fastest push. I think he did it in, like, 3 minutes and 25 seconds. He's a machine, though. Um, But, yeah, going in, it feels horrible. Like, the best way I could describe it is... uh, It felt like when you go into shock, but you don't really know what hurts yet... So I've had a couple of instances, or when you get the wind knocked out of you, but before you realize you got the wind knocked out of you, your whole yeah. body's just kind of in the state of like waiting for something horrible to happen. Yeah. Um, some people, what I've noticed lately is where people are in pain, they feel the response more too. Okay. So I find that fascinating and I don't know if that again is just like a placebo type of yeah, deal that's happening. because you're more
0: aware, maybe because you're more aware of your bodily sensations because you're feeling this totally possible. thing happen, so yeah. you might be a bit more likely to notice the pain
1: yeah and with um research or when we look at uh nad it's a large molecule so can it get into the cell we're not sure we're not yeah. sure about that
0: yeah that's uh one thing that i was i was listening to a podcast in the main so sort of one of the main guy i don't remember his name it was a while ago but he was basically saying the way the molecule is structured is like mechanistically it's large it, yeah couldn't get into a in cell this. but then there's all the anecdotes mm-hmm. and stuff so that kind of leads me to nicotinamide riboside.
1: Yeah, it's it's precursor. So nicotinamide riboside eventually will turn into NAD. So it's a precursor molecule, molecule to NAD. Um, and there's a few companies out there right now that are making... Uh, nicotinamide riboside, True NAD. Yeah, yeah, True NAD is the one. one I bought. Yeah, I bought that one too, and um, I did notice a difference with it. But what they've shown in, in recent papers is that it does actually get into the cellular muscle tissue and stuff like okay. that. So we is are that
0: nicotinamide riboside or NAD?
1: Nicotinamide riboside.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, that one can get in. It's the precursor, so you it will allow your cells to produce more NAD, NAD. essentially. Yeah. So, um, and that one is oral. You take that day to day so you don't need to feel like you're going into shock. Definitely. Unless you want to. <laughs> unless you I'm sure love that feeling. Yeah, I'm sure, some um, people.
1: And with that one too, so therapeutic dosing is huge on that one. So there was one research, like the Rabinowitz study on it, um didn't use a very high dosage of it and didn't notice massive results. Whereas the latest study did like thousand milligram okay. dosing, I believe, and that actually showed therapeutic results. Okay. So, with that, it's it's dosing, it's timing, it's like the state of the health of the person to begin yeah. with.
0: So, is it is it broad results on any type of ailment, or is there anything specific they're used like? that you would use nad for
1: yeah so like obviously anti-aging you can't really measure we're not yeah. sure how i mean like without it's like an
0: interior thing like yeah. it might help with that but
1: there's claims a lot of claims to anti-aging but again how would we know who, how you aged anyway you know so that's one piece of it the other piece um is neurodegenerative disease so they're starting to look at um this for als so treatments and if functionally it works in that potentially that could be you know crossed for any sort of neurodegenerative condition which is fascinating um they're using it a lot for ptsd um brain damage brain trauma um addiction therapy um anxiety depression nothing research no research paper will i can show you will say like this equals this just kind of
0: like sort of the frontier thing where they're exploring it exactly it's still in that those stages so um and is in there any performance performance okay yeah so. more importantly so like is it in theory is the mechanism like a lot of that stuff sounds like neurological um so is it functioning more on like as a neuroprotective or is it just providing more energy in sort of those those cycles like the citric acid cycle and that type of thing like So we're just
1: looking for mitochondrial health, you know, and mitochondrial cellular function is what we're looking at. So with neurodegenerative conditions, like cells are kind of eroding, proteins start to misfold and that, you know, starts to develop those beta amyloid plaque and all that sort of stuff, which leads to, um, you know... It's one of the, I mean, they're the really researching this now, but it is it a true indicator of Alzheimer's or is there some stu- some more stuff going on that we're missing? Okay. Um, but cellular health, if your cells are healthy, then essentially every function in your body would be yeah. better, right? Because
0: every organ and system is made up of cells. Yeah, exactly.
1: So. That's all we are a bunch of cells. So yeah. if we optimize. And when you break that down, you're a bunch of atoms. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So don't get too deep down those rabbit holes. I know. Come <laughs> back out of them, though. Yeah.
0: Um, so I think we're we're coming close to the end here. Um, just a broad, quick summary I wanted to get into because when I was younger, thinking about like dieting and body composition, all this stuff, I kind of neglected micronutrients. Um, so sort of just as a, I guess an intro to this, like a lot of the benefits, at least that I've seen, have been studied or shown is you know, not overeating, eating appropriate calories and macronutrients, so carbs, protein, fat. Um, I think like a a very simple way of putting it would be carbs are main energy source, protein is main muscle building source, and fat is good for your hormone production. Um, But after that, like for immune system and, you know, brain function and all these other things of just being healthy, micronutrients are important. So like, it took me a little bit to kind of be like there's if it fits your macros and then stan efforting has if it fits your macros and micros and his whole thing sort of like choose food that's going to get your micronutrients in so if you just had like a quick spiel on micronutrients and maybe a couple that you can think of that you know when you're deficient in them things start happening like do you have any just a, a quick Summary of that, like what you think of (laughs) micronutrients and all that. Yeah,
1: and I like that Stan, you know, incorporated those micros too because there's um, nutritional value in food, right? So we're not just going to get. You know despite it fitting your macros there's still so many processes in the body that rely on these cofactors to make the wheels turn you know and all your b vitamins and um you know cortisol uses up magnesium b vitamins and vitamin c to make itself and if we're in fight or flight all of the time which we would be with exercise and all that sort of stuff then we need to replete those things we want to make sure that your body has enough stores to be able to make cortisol functionally you know or we start to look at um you know, grown into the burnout pathway and those sorts of things. Magnesium is another huge one. Like all of our, all of our electrolytes are massive. Like for recovery and for muscle function. Um, so not having enough of those, and and the crappy thing now is, it would be lovely to get all of this stuff from food. And anywhere I can do food wise, I do. But. Um, with our agriculture system a lot of things are monocropped now so the turnover the soil is not the same we're not getting the same nutrients in the soil content um so a lot of us do have to supplement these days and we're also living like this insane rat race too so the likelihood of you getting all of the micronutrients that you need is pretty low right um and then saying that you know depending on how you choose to eat so uh vegetarian vegan have a predisposed disposition to not have enough B12 so make sure you're supplementing with that and and I think talking to, you know, a health professional based on what you're putting in your mouth is really important. And a lot of people are eating the same thing every single day. So your body's probably missing out on something with that, you know, Um, unless you're very careful with the supplements you take to make up for that. So there's a lot that goes into it. And I think there's so much information out there and I can totally understand how people would be so overwhelmed with it all. Um, But go find a practitioner that you really drive with and who really cares about you. And then you can probably get some pretty good answers or at least enough information to make things a bit better.
0: Yeah, and it's also, like, there's so much that could be a full podcast episode on its own, so we won't get into any of that too much, um, but to fit, so yeah, basically start eating some vegetables, you know, maybe look into some of the stuff you could be deficient in, like zinc, a lot of athletes sweat that out, um, you know, B vitamins, if you're, you're vegan or vegetarian, you might be missing some of those, magnesium, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, um. But with that, like when you say these things too, uh, it depends again, yeah. right? So we can't make, I couldn't make a single generalization or a single recommendation until you're sitting in front of me, right. until I have a bit of blood work, till I see where the inefficiencies are or till I see where we can optimize you. So it's really, really difficult to like yeah. blanket recommendations on what people should do. Some people who eat meat all the time have uh, a hard time absorbing B12 because of a genetic deficiency. So okay. that is a whole other story, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's just really important to figure out you know the person sitting in front of you and what they
0: need but yeah basically i think a a takeaway don't just eat mcdonald's and protein (laughs) shakes to fit your macros like try to have some like kale or something where you're getting some micronutrients like with your diet it doesn't have to be kale it could be something better than kale (laughs) um okay just to close things out then i have Four rapid questions. Just answer them <laughs> as quickly as you can. Um, they're just very basic. Uh, you you can take your time a little bit, but but fast. But fast. <laughs> um, okay. So ready? Yes. So one daily habit you think everyone should start doing. Something simple.
1: One daily drink water.
0: Drink water. Okay. With lemon, maybe. Okay, that's what I'm doing right now in mine. Um, one book everyone should read, in your opinion.
1: Ooh, that's a good one. Um, (laughs) This is funny that this is the first one coming to my mind. But the languages of love, or the five love languages. Right, that's how people
0: communicate with each other. Because some people, like, you know, verbal... mm -hmm. Um, communication other people like gestures and stuff is that basically
1: it's kind of like how i would receive it versus give it um so for example mine is words of affirmation if somebody tells me i'm doing a good job i feel love from that whereas other people's are um physical touch whereas that doesn't show love to me at all you know if you hug me i'm like okay you know oh, yeah. but if you tell me I'm doing your, yeah, yeah so understanding that in um, people's relationships is going to get you so far okay. to be able to show and receive love appropriately
0: sweet um and I'll get uh I'll put that in the description after uh, I'll get it from you okay one thing you wish you knew 10 years ago one thing I wish I
1: knew 10 years ago wow well, everything I know now <laughs> <laughs> that's a tough one one thing specific uh I would say get enough protein. Okay. Yeah, especially as a young female athlete. Yeah. Okay. And iron.
0: Sweet. Yeah. And what is your favorite pastime when you're not doing all this stuff?
1: Playing sports. Playing sports. Yeah. Any specific sport? Or I love hockey. Hockey.
0: Mm-hmm. Sweet. All right, well, that's all I got for you today. I think we finished pretty much perfectly on time.
1: Yay! Yeah. All right,
0: well, thanks for uh, coming on the show.
1: Yeah, anytime.
0: Thanks, everyone, for tuning into that episode of the podcast uh this is the first episode so i was happy with how everything went with nicole the interview was great um lots of good topics sort of touched on there Uh, a lot of that you can go so in-depth with so we're just trying to sort of give a general outline for the average person there um but i think some key takeaways were you know just try to eat healthy foods exercise sleep hydrate get the foundations down and um, then you can start diving into all that other stuff with uh maybe with a professional or a trainer or something um so yeah in the meantime stay tuned um follow the instagram page the elevation podcast and i'll put um dr coke's information in the description below with her instagram and um some of the stuff we talked about, like the books and and all that stuff. So have a great day and I hope to be with you next time.